good afternoon. My name is Randy. If I haven't met you before, I'm an elder and part of the preaching team. Uh, get to uh, continue our sermon series uh, in Lent and into Easter uh, as we consider each week one of the sayings of Christ from the cross. Welcome to the uh, welcome to the second Sunday. The season that we're in is the season of Lent, and and if you recall, uh, every Sunday uh, we take a Sabbath from our Lenten practices. And we do that in anticipation uh, of, of Easter. So each Sunday during Lent is a mini Easter when we look forward. And so uh, if you have uh, taken up uh, some sort of Lenten practice, uh, let me invite you uh, to lay it aside today in celebration of the Easter that is to come, but also to remind you that your Lenten practices are not a checklist or a duty uh, to be observed. The premise or the starting spot uh, of our sermon series comes from the book of Hebrews uh, chapter 12. Um, In Hebrews 12, we are told uh, to fix our eyes on Jesus. I think we've got a slide with the verses here. It says that we are looking to Jesus. There's a translation that says, we're to fix our eyes on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And so that's the starting spot, that's the foundation, that's the reason that we're taking time each week uh, during this season of Lent and into Easter to fix our eyes on Jesus, Jesus on the cross, and to consider the words that he said. It strikes me that it, is, that it is entirely possible, though, for us to consider these words of Jesus each week from purely an intellectual perspective. It strikes me that it's possible that we consider Jesus, but that we don't ever experience Jesus. And so as I've been praying and preparing uh, to, to talk with you tonight, Uh, There's three things that I desire for us. I want us to see Jesus and to be with him. I want us to feel the grief and sorrow of Jesus' death intersecting with the joy and love that he pours out on our behalf. And I specifically want us to see something in Jesus tonight and respond to him. I'm going to beg your indulgence. I'm going to do something that's uh, out of the ordinary. And uh, for some, uh, might feel a little awkward or uncomfortable. What I'm going to ask everybody to do, and don't do it yet, I'm going to walk us through this. 
is I'm going to ask everybody to move seats. The what? Kind of awkward. Okay? So, I'm going to ask us to move seats, and I'm going to have everybody stand up in just a moment, go to either side, and then I'm going to talk you through how I want you to choose your seat. Okay? Now, the only thing that I ask is that you don't choose the exact same seats you're in right now. And the reason that I want you not to choose the exact same seats that you're in right now is because I want you to be intentional in your thought process. The other thing that I'm going to invite you to do is to be honest in your thought processes. The only one who's going to know if you're being honest in your thought processes are you and the Holy Spirit. But if you're not honest in your thought processes, if you're not honest in your decision-making, then it becomes much harder to encounter Jesus. So are you up for an experiment? Yeah. yeah? Some of you are. Some of you are like, Randy, what are you doing? Stand up to the sides. Grab all your stuff so you don't have to come back to your spot. The story that we've been walking through is the story of Jesus on the cross. And if you remember in the Upper Room Discourse in John 17, he said he calls us his friends. And he wasn't only speaking to his friends who were in the room with him that night, but he's speaking to all of us who have placed our hope and our faith in him. We're his friends. And so I'm going to invite you to think about if you were there that day when Jesus was crucified. I'm going to invite you to engage your imagination. And I'm going to ask you, where would you be that day in relationship to the cross? There's a cross hanging on the wall behind me. Where would you be? John and Jesus' mother Mary were close by. There was a group of women who were a little ways off. But the gospel records don't tell us of any of other of Jesus' friends being there. And the reason that I bring that up is because to be with Jesus as he's on the cross is to participate in a death watch. And if you've walked to the gates of death with a friend or a family member, you know how hard and painful that is. And so as you choose your seat, there are two things that I want to encourage you One, if there's any hint of, if I choose a seat closer to the cross, somebody in this room is going to be more impressed with me, or God is going to be more impressed with me, resist that 
because it is not true. And at the same time, if the enemy of your soul says, shame, the back row isn't far enough away for you, resist that thought. To illustrate this in a way that was very helpful for me, a friend told the story of the death watch that he went through with his, when his mother passed. If I recall correctly, there were ten siblings, he and nine brothers and sisters, and he said they had the privilege of the last week of his mother's life all being with her in her home. And she was at a point in her decline where uh, she uh, wasn't communicative. And so mom was in her bedroom. And he said there was this group uh, of my siblings uh, and it was very hard for them uh, to be with my mom in her room. And those were the people who spent most of the time in the kitchen cooking food for the rest of us and handling details. And they would go see mom from time to time, but they weren't able to stay very long. And then there was another group that spent a lot of time with mom in her room, very close to mom's bedside, sitting in silence, soft whispers, tears, memories. But they even would come out from time to time because they couldn't just stay there the whole time. And he said, and then there was myself and one of my sisters in particular, and we found ourselves kind of in the middle of those two extremes. But my sister was able to stay in the room with mom longer than I was. But here's the gift that she gave me. Anytime she went back, she invited me to come with her. And because of that, I was able to spend more time with mom than I may have otherwise been able to. And so as we go through today's sermon, I want you to do it not from a black chair at Harbor Church, but I want you to experience it from the foot of the cross. I asked a friend this question this Week And they said, if there was a bush at the bottom of the hill where I could hide so that I could see but not be seen, that's where I would be. What a beautiful and honest choice. And the invitation we have is this. When we sit with Jesus in his death, we're invited to come a little bit closer and stay a little bit longer. So with that, let me invite you to choose seats. Go ahead.
Our passage today comes from Luke 23. Starting in verse 32, if you have a, a Bible or an app. We're in the middle of the crucifixion. Jesus has already been placed on the cross. And I'm just conscious that as I read this, even how we read it uh, can detach ourselves from it in some ways. Because there's dialogue between Jesus and a thief on the cross. And the dialogue happens between two men uh, who are struggling for every breath. And so as you think about where you're sitting at in relationship to the cross, I need to tell you to listen close because these will be the words uh, of a labored athlete who's just run a long race and is trying to catch their breath and talk to you at the same time. This is the conversation of somebody close to death. This is the conversation of somebody who is in pain. And we read that there were two others who were criminals who were led away to be put to death with him being Jesus. And when they came to that place that is called the skull, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. And that was what we talked about last week. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was also an inscription over him that said, The king of the Jews. And one of the criminals who was hanged with him railed at him saying, Are you not the Christ? That probably wasn't how he said it. It was probably in the gasping of breath. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, Do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man, he's done nothing wrong. And then he said to him, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father, Son, and Spirit. What an intense thing to be with you at the crucifixion. And to hear this interchange, this request by this thief hung beside you and your response. 
Open the ears of our hearts, Holy Spirit, that we might hear how you're pointing us to Jesus in this story. A couple of questions, and I'm looking for verbal answers. What character traits of Jesus do you see displayed in the answer that he gave to the thief? Today, I tell you the truth, you will be with me in paradise. Reassurance, Reassurance. kindness, Kindness. mercy, Mercy. Authority. authority. As I reflected, those were the things that came to mind as well. The power and authority of Jesus on full display, demonstrated by a man hung to a cross of wood by iron spikes, declaring and exercising ultimate power and authority. And at the same time, such great kindness and love and mercy and generosity. I've had minor pain before. But when I'm in pain, I don't want to talk to you about anything except myself and my pain. And yet Jesus, in his pain, showed mercy. Let's consider first the power and authority of Christ. If we rewind into the story of his ministry prior to the crucifixion, uh, what are some stories that come to mind, some places where Christ demonstrated his power and his authority. Lazarus. What happened with Lazarus? A leper. Healing a leper. What else? I heard something here and then here. What was here? Stilling the seas, calming the storm, power over weather. Something over here? Same one. That's beautiful. Casting demons out, so they went into the pigs. Amazing the people in the temple. Feeding 5,000 with nowhere near enough food. Every miracle, every healing, every declaration is a declaration of the power and the authority of Christ. But not only his miracles, but also the way he spoke. They said he teaches as one who has authority, not like our religious leaders teach. There are three pictures of his power and authority that I want to draw our attentions to briefly. Um, The first Uh, comes from Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 8. And I chose these three because they seem to me to be so connected with what Jesus is declaring uh, on the cross here when he tells this thief that today you'll be with me in paradise. If you want to follow along, Matthew chapter 9, starting with verse 1. And getting into the boat, He crossed over and came to his own city, and behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. 
And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son. Your sins are forgiven. How beautiful is that? And behold, (laughs) some of the scribes and the Pharisees said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. They said it to themselves, not loud like that. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. And with this, he turned to the paralytic and he said, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. The reason that I thought of this particular story is because this is exactly what Jesus was doing when he declared to this thief that today you will be with me in paradise. He's saying, your sins are handled. They're dealt with. They're not keeping you from my presence. He has the authority and the power to do that in that moment. Forgive sins. The second example of the power and authority of Jesus comes um, from John chapter 11. Somebody already mentioned this one. John chapter 11, once I get there, we're going to start with verse 38. This is the story of Lazarus, and if you're not familiar with this, uh, you can go to the beginning of John 11 and you can read it, but there was this, this family, a brother and two sisters, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, and they were dear, dear friends of Jesus, and they supported uh, him as he traveled about, uh, and, and he, he loved them. And Lazarus, the brother, he got sick. Jesus wasn't there. Uh, they sent word to him. They thought Jesus could have come in time to save their brother. He'd saved all these other sick people, Uh, But Jesus delayed, and Lazarus died. And so, Jesus and his friends who were with him journey to see Mary and Martha. And the Jesus, in verse 38, was deeply moved again, and he came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, ever the practical, said, Lord, by this time there'll be an odor, for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they might believe that you sent me. When he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. (laughs) And the man who had died 
came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth, the mummy coming out. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And this is the power and the authority that Jesus was demonstrating while nailed to a Roman tree. The authority over death. The thief was dying soon. Jesus was dying soon. But still Jesus declared, Today you will be with me in paradise because he has complete authority over death. And not only did he demonstrate it, but he said it as well in John chapter 10, just a little bit earlier, verses 17 and 18. He's talking about the good shepherd and the sheep, and he's declaring that he's the good shepherd. And he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. And I love verse 18. No one takes my life from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. And so it seems to me that to heal a paralyzed man is amazing, but it's got nothing on calling forth the dead into life. And yet that's what Jesus is in the business of doing. He hung on a Roman tree with nails through his hands and feet and exercised complete and total dominion over power and over death. The Roman soldiers had no authority. Pilate had no authority. The scribes and the Pharisees had no authority. Had Jesus not willed to submit his will to the Father and to lay his life down, his divinity could have stopped the whole thing. And yet for love, he chose to keep his divinity hidden. But he lived fully out of the power and the authority that the Father had given him. Let's consider for a moment the compassion of Christ. There's many different places that we can go to to think about the compassion of Christ. The woman at the well, the woman caught in adultery, any of the miracles that Jesus did, each of those are beautiful, beautiful pictures of the compassion of Christ. And yet, personally, one of my favorite stories is the compassion that Jesus showed to Peter. And part of why this is so dear to me is because I haven't been paralyzed or blind. Some of us have. But I've failed Christ many, many times. And so, this way that Jesus treats Peter. As Peter is getting ready to fail Christ, Peter doesn't recognize it yet. 
but the way Jesus treats him is so full of compassion and it comforts my soul as well. In Luke 22, this is during that final evening when Jesus is together with his friends celebrating what would become communion for us. He says, Simon, Simon. Simon is Peter, another name for him. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. But then Jesus goes on to say, say this. And this is, the this is the compassion of Jesus that stirs my soul. He says to Peter, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And so he's predicting Peter denying him. He's predicting Peter's failing. And in that moment, he's not, and you're going to deny me three times and we're through. But instead, you're going to deny me three times. And when you've turned again, I have work for you to do. Strengthen your brothers. And if you're familiar with the story after the resurrection of Christ, it's found in John 21. Jesus pulls Peter aside after feeding Peter and a, and a few of the other disciples breakfast at the side of the Sea of Galilee. And three times he asks Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know that I do, Lord. And Jesus says, care for my sheep. And again, Peter, do you love me? And Peter again answers, yes, Lord, I do. Peter, tend my flocks. And a third time, Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I do. Feed my sheep. And so for every denial, Jesus restored. And that's the compassion of Jesus. And what an incredible thing that such compassion is found alongside, intertwined, in tandem, in concert, in unity with such power and authority. Could you imagine the power and authority absent the love and compassion and mercy and grace of our God? Let's consider for a brief moment the thief. All four Gospels record that there were thieves crucified with Jesus. Um, we got a slide just real briefly. John 19, 18. It says they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. This passage in Luke that basically says the same, the same thing. And then in Matthew 27, 44, and the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. And in Mark 15, the last part of verse 32, 
those who were crucified with him also reviled him. The thing that I was struck by is there's two thieves. And in this Luke passage, one of them's going off on Jesus and the other one rebukes him and then says, Jesus, remember me when you come into, par- when you come into your kingdom. But as we look at the Matthew and the Mark passage, it says that the thieves, plural, who were crucified with him were reviling him. And so it suggests to me that the thief who said, remember me, had begun the day by reviling Jesus. How like you and me is that? (laughs) And how beautiful the compassion and the forgiveness and the power and the authority of Jesus to forgive and to bring into paradise this one who moments before, minutes, hours, had been reviling him as well. I think of the lesson, the, the lessons that we can learn from this thief. The first thing I think of, if we have formulas for how you come to faith, for how you come to Christ, for how you enter the kingdom, this guy didn't follow any of the formulas. There's no four spiritual laws, no bridge illustration, no Romans road, no prayer of whatever, no baptism, any of the other things that sometimes we mistakenly confuse the good things for the necessary things. The necessary thing is this. He saw something in Jesus and he responded to it. And Jesus gave him more than he asked for. Jesus didn't say, yeah, I'll remember you. He didn't say, yeah, I'll put up a monument in your name. He said, no, I'm giving you heaven itself. I'm giving you presence with me today. And so my question for us tonight, as you've sat at the foot of the cross, have you seen something in Jesus? How is he inviting you to respond? I'm going to sit here in uncomfortable silence for about 60 seconds that will seem like four minutes. And I'm going to invite you to sit with that question. Do I see something in you, Jesus? Are you inviting me to respond? And I would invite you to uh, capture that in some way. There's pens in front of you. Scribble a note somewhere. Pull out your phone. Write a note. I'll be quiet.
it is hard to sit with Jesus as he dies. But it's important because watching him die, being with him as he dies, teaches us about him. The Roman centurion, upon seeing the way that Jesus died, declared, surely this must be the Son of God. Hebrews tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross and scorned the shame. I love that. It doesn't say he, there wasn't really any shame there. The author of Hebrews fully recognizes that there was shame there, but he says that Jesus scorned it. He said, that ain't even a thing. That is not important because of the joy. And what was the joy of Jesus? It was the joy of Jesus to do his Father's will. Not my will, but yours be done. It was the joy of Jesus to take upon him the brokenness, the pain, the sin, the suffering of the world. It was the joy of Jesus to overthrow him who previously had the power of death. That is the devil. Death, where is your sting? O grave, where is your victory? It was the joy of Jesus. I need to stop talking in the past tense because it is the joy of Jesus to invite you and me and the people in our lives into holy communion and relationship with Father, Son, and Spirit. Not because we're worthy, but because we are marvelously, wildly, incontrollably loved by our Savior, Jesus. For as many as called on His name, to them He's given the right to be called children of God. This is where grief and sorrow intersects with awe and wonder and joy. What grief and sorrow to sit with our friend, Jesus, as he dies on the cross. What tears of joy and amazement come from the love he pours out on our behalf. Blessed Redeemer, blessed Savior, blessed friend.